Hi there. Thanks for listening to The Last Cup. We'd love to know what you think about this podcast. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we could improve by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash last cup survey. The Last Cup is available in English and Spanish. This is the English version. Para escuchar la versión en español, volvé al feed y selecciona el episodio con el título en español. Before we begin today's show, a quick language advisory. Today's episode contains explicit language. I'm going to tell you a secret. Something that I've been holding in for a really long time. It's me. I'm the reason Argentina lost against the Germans in the 2014 World Cup final. Yes! The one where Lionel Messi almost, almost turned us into champions of the world. So there's these really disgusting socks I have, right? They're ancient. They're lime green with avocados printed on them. They might have actual guacamole stains on them for some reason. Anyways, I've made a deal with the universe that if I wear these socks, Argentina will win. It's a heavy burden. The fate of an entire nation resting literally on my feet. But you know what? Heroes aren't born. They're made. Anyways, a few days before we played against Germany, it was really hot outside. And the socks just didn't go well with my outfit. I did not wear the socks. I have been carrying this guilt with me for a very long time, and it's such a relief to get it off my chest. Everyone can stop blaming Messi, because it was me. All sports have curses. The Red Sox went 86 years without winning a World Series because of the curse of the Bambino. In the NFL, it's well known that if a player appears on the cover of the Madden video game, they will have a serious injury. And perhaps one of the most international of curses is the Mick Jagger curse. He has been accused of jinxing a whole array of soccer teams in World Cups just by showing his support for them. Argentina allegedly has a curse of its own. It goes back to 1986. In preparation for the World Cup, the national squad trained in the mountain town of Tilcara in Argentina. The players from the 86 squad vehemently deny what happens next, which is exactly what someone would do if they were responsible for a three-decade curse. But the townspeople, they say the team paid a visit to a local church to ask the Virgin of Tilcara for a blessing. HBO in Argentina eventually did an expose on this. They interviewed a local woman who worked with the team while they were there. She says the Argentine coach said to her, if we win the World Cup, we will come back and thank the Virgin on our knees. And guess what? Argentina has won the World Cup for the second time in one of the most dramatic finals in the history of the competition. 
With Maradona at the helm, Argentina wins the championship. And allegedly, none of them went back to thank the Virgin. Dudes, what were you thinking? That's not how it works. Anyways, ever since, they say, the Argentine national team has been living under the curse of the Virgin of Delgada. The players from 86 denied the whole story ever happened. Here's Checho Batista. I don't know who said this. They made this up and we have nothing to do with this. I don't know what this whole promise thing is. We didn't promise anything and we didn't go to the Virgin. But the legend of the curse has been so persistent. A few years ago at a game played in Bolivia, fans unfurled this massive Argentine flag and painted on it was a message for the squad of 86. Return to Dilgara. Fulfill your promise. From NPR and Futuro Studios, this is The Last Cup. I'm Jasmine Garst. Today on the show, Messi tries to break a curse. But not all curses can be broken. The Last Cup returns after the break. If you ask me if I believe in the curse of Delgada, I would respond that I'm a person who wears lucky socks. I'm not exactly at the apex of rational thinking over here. But look, if you do believe in the curse, then that's the reason we started losing so many big tournaments after 1986, a losing streak that lasted decades. And that is the Argentine team that Messi walks into when he joins, a losing team. Messi is seen as the team's chance to turn things around because by the late 2000s, early 2010s, he's becoming well-established as the best football player in the world. The best player in the world. Leo Messi from Barcelona. He's scoring record numbers of goals with Barcelona. 47 goals last season, up and running inside three minutes in Santander. He's winning Ballon d'Ors, the highest honor in European soccer. You've got to remember, he's only 25. In theory, he's not even at his peak yet. He's a household name. Every little boy wearing his shirt. Messi on a million backs. He has endorsement deals with Pepsi, Adidas, KFC. Messi just signed my shirt and he's my best player. People around the world are crazy for him. Because he's one of the greatest players in the world, all right? And the next World Cup, he's going to lift the trophy for Argentina. But in Argentina, eh, it's not going that well. His track record with the national team, it's unimpressive. Let's go through some of it. He barely played in his first World Cup in 2006. He wins us the 2008 Olympics, but... People don't care that much about the Olympics in soccer. In the 2010 World Cup with Maradona as coach, he fails to score a single goal. So yeah, not the same soccer messiah that we were seeing play for Barcelona. Then 2011 rolls around. Checho Batista was coach of the national team. And he says winning for Argentina meant everything to this kid. Messi's head was always about winning something with the national team. He loved the country, loved the team, and wanted to win them something before he was done. So the pressure is on. 
And people's patience in Argentina, it's really running out. They hadn't won a tournament since 1993. Felipe Cárdenas is a writer for the sports site The Athletic. He says 2011 is seen as this big year for Argentine soccer. It was the Copa América, which is like a World Cup, but just for South America. Hosted by Argentina. It was like, this is the one. This is the one that Argentina is finally going to win. Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Uruguay, Colombia, Paraguay, and more. We'll battle it out for the 2011 Copa América Live from Argentina. It was Messi's chance to become homecoming king. Coach Checho's plan that year was to put an end to the team relying on Messi all the time. Be more strategic about how to deploy the best player in the world. The strategy was to let Lionel play where he feels comfortable. Let him have fun. But fun was nowhere in the picture. In fact, this Copa América, this is where I always felt that Messi lost Argentina. It happened during this one game against Colombia. De Argentina, Colombia. Directamente desde Santa Fe, el Estadio Cementerio de los Elefantes. It was a cold, foggy night at the Elephant Cemetery. That's what they call the Colón Soccer Stadium in the province of Santa Fe, Argentina. The Elephant Cemetery. Because it's a place where the great teams lose. And right from the get-go, you can tell, tonight, the vibe is off. The players line up to sing the anthem. One of the star players, Carlos Tevez, is like really belting it out. Everyone's singing, except Messi. He just looks down silently. He seems like deeply unhappy. It's all downhill from there. You have midfielders that they're not even looking at anyone else. They're just trying to figure out, how do I get the ball to Lionel Messi? Felipe Cárdenas says the Argentina team during that time was stuck in Messi dependencia, Messi addiction. They were totally reliant on him. In this game, Argentina looks like zombies stumbling around in the fog. There wasn't a true identity of of what the team really wanted to play like. Completely uncoordinated. Missed passes, lost opportunities, players from the same team fighting for the ball. And Messi, the would-be curse breaker, he's just walking around, looking lost on the field. And then he gets one last chance. By around the middle of the second half, Messi takes a free kick which could actually turn things around. A perfect chance for Messi, the announcer knows. Except Messi doesn't just miss the kick. It's not even remotely close. It looks like he just kicked it angrily into the stadium. Into the clouds, says the announcer. No quiero creer lo que estoy viendo. I can't believe what I'm seeing, he says. Messi covers his face with his arm. And this is when the crowd just starts whistling and heckling. Have you ever seen a crowd turn? It's kind of terrifying. 
It's like a monster with a thousand heads that cannot be reined back in. It's a little hard to make out, but the crowd, that thousand-headed creature in the stands, starts to roar. Diego. Diego. They are invoking Maradona's name. And they're singing it at Messi. That was really, I think... You know, it was a turning point for Messi. The scrutiny from the Argentine fans throughout that tournament, you could feel in every game that it was very tense. The anxiety was at a high level. In the stands, his parents, his girlfriend are watching it all go down. Also somewhere in the crowd, Hugo Togali, Messi's first Argentine coach, the guy who brought him back from Spain, is watching horrified. I was crying because I know how much he sacrificed to come play for the national team. When I got up to leave, I saw his father. I didn't want to go up to him. He left all the money in the world to play with us, and this is how we treat him. Spain would have given him all the money in the world. After six hours, the game finally ends. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was 90 minutes. But I promise it felt like many hours of agony. And not a single goal was scored. Coach Checho says after the game, Messi was in bad shape. Made you sad to see him like that? Just imagine how it feels. He's the best player in the world. He gives it his all, but can't seem to give the national team what the people want from him. After the game, a local network interviewed infuriated fans. Do you know how much I paid to come out here tonight and watch them just walk around the field? Says one guy. Messi is a loser, says the other one. He's got nothing. No balls, no soul, which is the name of my new feminist heavy metal band. And another thing, says a third fan. It's really disrespectful that we compare him to Maradona. F off. He doesn't have the same blood running through his veins as Maradona. Messi is a lie. After the break, Argentine fans ask themselves, does Messi even belong here? Coach Checho Batista knows, in Argentina, when you lose a game, you don't even leave your house. You don't go out to dinner. You'll be out eating with your wife or your kids, and strangers will pass by and insult you, yell at you because you lost the game. You aren't to be seen in public. You know how it is here. If it goes well for you, you're a hero. But if it goes badly, you're worthless, nothing. There's no middle ground in soccer here. When I lost, they'd kill me. 
Felipe Cárdenas. In South America, the fandom and the passion for the sport just is consistently crossing the line. It's just the way that we were raised. There was a statue in Argentina that, that was erected um, in honor of Lionel Messi. That statue was vandalized over the years when he wasn't winning games. I mean, just it's it's an incredible turn of events for a player that all he ever wanted was to be loved and successful for his national team. And after that terrible game against Colombia, where tens of thousands of fans taunted Messi in his own home, in front of his loved ones, Coach Chicho started getting a little worried about him. He thought, Lo perdimos. We lost him. Lo perdimos para siempre, no viene nunca más, digo. That's it, we lost him forever. He's never coming back. In the years after the 2011 fiasco, Messi's performance with Argentina became a national obsession. Roundtables of philosophers and psychologists would go on TV and pontificate on why, how come he plays so well in Europe, but he can't win for us. Maybe, some proposed, he needs to go to therapy. And it's not just intellectuals with beautiful scarves offering gentle, constructive criticism. This gets really vitriolic. Sí, que Messi se vaya de la selección. Messi nunca le hizo ganar partido a la selección argentina importante. Meet soccer commentator and one of the loudest critics of Messi back in the day, Flavio Asado, who has straight up called for Messi to quit the team. Porque Messi nunca. Messi never, ever, up until today has ever played for Argentina like he played for Barcelona. Jamás. Ever. Asado kind of looks like Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. He was a bit hoarse when I interviewed him, I suspect from smoking and screaming about soccer. Back in the day, he reported on Messi's fiascos with the Argentine team, which seemed to be the bane of his existence. Like, here he is freaking out about Messi's constant sulking face on the field. His face, says Asado, is not a minor problem. This kid's face is giving me nothing. Asado couldn't stand Messi. He hated that the kid couldn't be bothered to sing the anthem, that he was so soft-spoken. He never got into fights on the field. He just walked around looking down at his cleats. He just lacked the swagger of his beloved Maradona. Where's my fur jacket-wearing dirt field champ? Where's my Robin Hood and his men in cleats? The problem with Messi is when he's faced with adversity, when things don't go his way. Asado felt like Messi. He wasn't even really trying. He was just phoning it in. Argentina would be lagging behind. Messi, Messi would be like, uh, walking around the field. Digo, la puta madre. Son of a bitch, you're the best. Yeah, I'm going to ask more of you. Because you're supposed to be the best. Stop walking the field with your resting melancholy face. And with Messi, Argentina would lose. And it was as if nothing happened. Is that what bothered you? I asked him. Of course it did. It bothered me and 70% of Argentinians in 2011. I dispute that he doesn't play well for Argentina. 
Journalist Simon Cooper has written a lot about Messi. He thinks Asado has it completely wrong. Messi has taken Argentina to five World Cup and Copa America finals combined. For any country, that's a great record. We just have crazy expectations. He's not as good for Argentina as for Barcelona because the players he plays with aren't as good. He's played with a lot of very mediocre people whose names I won't mention during his Argentina career. Uh, shockingly mediocre performance. And he takes them to World Cups. If anything, Cooper says, we should be thankful that Messi is able to carry us so far. But not only were a lot of people not thankful to Messi, back in those years, people were questioning whether he even belonged here. There was a sense, a fear, that maybe he couldn't win for us like he won for Barca because he wasn't Argentine anymore. Almost like he'd rather win for Spain. Messi has nothing to do with Argentina, Asado says in this clip. He's European. He was raised in Barcelona. When I interviewed Asado, he repeated that sentiment. Messi is European. He's an Argentinian who went to Europe and was raised in a society that is much, much calmer, where your money doesn't lose value every day. Messi has been taken care of since he was very small. He ate well, he had a nice house, he had good cleats, he never had to take the bus. Asado is hitting on something real. For many Argentines, Messi inspired resentment. Like what? You play well if you get paid in euros, but you can't be bothered for pesos? The fans were like, you don't feel the same things we feel. You don't suffer the same way we suffer. You fly in and you play and then you fly out. This. This is where his story really hits me personally, like right in the gut. I know, Messi and I, we live in two different worlds. He would lose a game and go think about it in Ibiza with his millions of dollars. I would watch the same game and go mope at my neighborhood bar. But this is a guy who had to leave his country as a child. And he longed to go back, but it had been way too long. I identified with that. It happens to so many immigrants. For me, the more time passed, I started asking myself questions like, can I ever go back? Will I be a foreigner in my own home if I do? I still ask myself these questions. When I traveled back to Buenos Aires to do this podcast, I brought them up with my best friend, Gabby. He's the person who knows me the best. Gabby lived in my neighborhood. Like me, he was a huge nerd. We met when we were 15. We spent most of our time hanging out at this park near my house, drinking soda, smoking cheap counterfeit cigarettes, and talking about boys we had crushes on. This was our Friday night. Saturday night plan. <laughs> when I went back home recently, we hung out at our old spot. Producer Julieta Martinelli was with us. This is like a, being like, yeah. <laughs> well, also like nerds without money. <laughs> Remember, there was like this one school year that Gabby showed up 
with like a tiny Superman t-shirt. Ay, ¿te acordás? Para, y tenía también como una, como una mochila tipo de Flash. Yeah, he had a Flash Gordon backpack and he was like, this is my year. I'm going to get laid. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. Gabby and I were inseparable. Whenever I was grounded, he'd come talk to me through the window, like I was a South American Rapunzel. Gabby dreamt of traveling, which is why he had a secret collection of stamps from around the world that only I knew about. The day I left Argentina in 2002, he came over to my house. As a parting gift, I gave him my most prized teenage possession, my sparkly burgundy platform shoes. Gabby, a gay man with impeccable taste, was horrified. What did you do after I left? Where did you go? Do you remember? To my house. I was crying. So you just... You walked away crying with some sparkly platform shoes in your hands? Yes. Gabby was and still is my brother. Leaving Argentina and him was my first heartbreak. His feelings were more complicated. Heartbroken, yes, but also kind of... Como me sentía red left out. Left out. Empecé a tener como un montón de amigas que empezaron a emigrar. I was just the first to go. My departure prepared him for the tidal wave of people who would leave in the months after me. Okay, como se están yendo, como a empezar de nuevo. In his mind, I was starting over. To him, como a vivir esta gran aventura. I was going on a great adventure while he was staying in a broken country. That's how he describes it. He thought, como no hay aventura para Gaby. ¿Entendés? There'd be no great adventure for Gabby. Meanwhile, my great adventure in the U.S. was minimum wage and exhausting. I used to have this really weird recurring nightmare in which I had enough money to travel back home, but home was no longer there. Buenos Aires had been bombed. And I was no longer me. I was David Bowie. In his Let's Dance era, I was now a British dandy, and I'd walk through the rubble in my elegant suit, twirling my cane under the serious moonlight until I found my grandmother's house. And she'd answer the door and look up at me, this very tall Englishman, and perplexed, she'd say, No, creo que se equivocó de dirección. ¿Usted quién es, señor? You must have the wrong address, sir. Who are you? I always woke up crying. I finally saved enough money to visit home in 2011. The year La Copa America was being hosted in Argentina, the same one I was telling you about earlier. I arrived days before what would be the cursed final blow against Uruguay. I didn't tell too many people I was planning on coming back. I wanted it to be a surprise. I was bringing gifts. Cheap headphones, a knockoff Kindle, silly plastic crap. When I arrived in Buenos Aires that night, I called the nursing home where my grandma lived. She's the one that used to blast her tiny plastic radio next to me in bed when I was a kid. Hey, I have a surprise for you. I'm home. 
Home, 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 home. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to bring you facturas, breakfast pastries. The phone woke me up before sunrise. My grandmother's unconscious body had been found at the foot of the stairway in her nursing home. Her skull was cracked. She'd been rushed to the hospital. In my memories, I'm always running underwater. When I got there, I got lost in the hospital hallways. It felt like a fluorescent white labyrinth. And it didn't matter anyways. By the time I finally made the right turn, the police were already there. They wouldn't let me see her. She'd died. As I was informed, senorita, this is now a police investigation. We need to look into whether violence or negligence occurred. It's standard protocol. I I don't remember how I got out of there. I must have somehow found a payphone to call Gabby. He was sleeping. I'm home, I told him. Home, home? Home, home. I'd planned to surprise Gabby, but not like this. That night, I slept at his house. He hugged me and we cried. There wasn't much more to do. The next day, Gabby took me to the police station. My family had mostly emigrated. I was the most immediate next of kin. It was really cold. Gabby says there's something about July, which is winter in Argentina. The light, it comes in dim and oblique, and the humid cold seeps into your bones. We couldn't have gotten a worse police station, Gabby remembers. We waited a long time, a long time. We were told the police chief couldn't see us. He was busy. And we could hear him in the back. They were watching La Copa América, Argentina-Uruguay. I wasn't paying attention, but Argentina was losing to Uruguay and out of the Copa América yet again. It was only the quarterfinals, an embarrassingly early departure for the host nation. As I sat there, Messi was once again being cursed out by the crowd in the stadium. He just couldn't give us a win. You silly, silly kid. You really thought you could just stroll back in after being gone all those years and break a curse? The real curse. The curse of leaving and becoming a foreigner in your own land? What? You thought you were going to ward it off with your KFC sponsorships and your Ballon d'Ors? With cheap headphones and a knockoff Kindle? That's not how curses work. In the next few days, I went to the city morgue. Gabby went with me. As they rolled out my grandmother, Gabby grabbed my hand and whispered, Cerra los ojos. Close your eyes. And he identified her body. This is 
the most important gift I've ever gotten, to not have to see her in that state. To be able to remember one of the people I have loved the most as I saw her last. My grandmother at her house, tiny plastic radio in hand, and me making the promise so many of us make and so many of us break. Algún día voy a volver a casa. I'm going to come back home one day. Next episode of The Last Cup, Messi turns it around. It's crazy how in a span of a year they went from, well, we're not sure how they're going to look at the Copa America to legitimate World Cup contenders. With a little help from his new teammates. Do they have what it takes as they leave for Qatar? That's next week on the final episode of The Last Cup. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we'd love to know what you think of The Last Cup. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we could improve by completing a short, anonymous survey at npr.org slash survey. The Last Cup is a co-production of NPR and Futuro Studios. This episode was produced by Marlon Bishop with support from Fernanda Echavarri, Julieta Martinelli, Paz S. Sarabia, and Liliana Ruiz. Our editor is Luis Treyes. Our bilingual team of producers includes Andrew Mambo, Skylar Swenson, Juan Diego Ramirez, Nick M. Nevis. And our intern for this series was Cameron Howell. Voiceover actors for this episode were Alex Marrero, Facundo Vázquez, and Carlos Canales. Our engineer is Josh Newell. Fact-checking by Sarah Knight. Mary Glendening is the deputy chief of NPR's research, archives, and data strategy. Music for this episode provided courtesy of ZZK Records. And additional thanks to Senya Rubinos and Carolina Oliveros for the music you're hearing in these credits. Katie Simon is the supervising editor for Embedded. Lauren Gonzalez is the senior manager of the content development team. Our executive producers are Yolanda Sangueni for NPR and Marlon Bishop for Futuro Studios. Anya Grunman is Senior Vice President for Programming and Audience Development. We love getting feedback from listeners. You can send us a message at thelastcup at npr.org. I'm Jasmine Garst. We'll be back next week with more from The Last Cup. <laughs> <laughs>